Whoever you are, wherever you are, whatever you may be doing, we wish to welcome you in for this episode of Just Another Conspiracy Show with your host, Jeff Williams. Now, the Illuminati is a subject that I don't believe needs any introduction to my general audience. But, just as a quick recap, the Illuminati, as we generally refer to it today, is an organization started off in the 1700s by Adam Weishaupt in the location of Bavaria, which basically is on the border between the Czech Republic, Germany, Poland, that general basic vicinity. And they were accused of doing many secret things. Um, Famously, legend says that while one of their couriers was carrying a letter on horseback to subvert the government, he was struck by lightning, which revealed the Illuminati's secret plans to overthrow the government and establish their control over all. Well, of course, when that fell into the when that fell into the hands of the general authorities, they took prompt action and disbanded the Illuminati. However, the Illuminati stretches back before Adam Weishaupt, and it is my intention to keep tracing back the origins of the ideas of the Illuminati. Because only once we understand something, understand its roots, can we begin to take effective action against it. Now, I've made mention of Christopher Columbus having hijacked the discovery of the Americas for the globalists centuries before they would come to adopt the name of the Illuminati. Now, There isn't quite enough documentation on how the idea of a globalist power elite has developed through the years. So, by tracing the origins and popularization of those structures, we can come to a much clearer conclusion of what happened when the Illuminati burst onto the scene, springing apparently completely formed from the forehead of Zeus, which is exactly what they would have you believe. After all, they would ha- their idea of appearing new is simply to recycle old ideas, old concepts, and make them appear new. Just like every election, whatever party was in power last election and is now out of power, power uses the phrase change. It's not change, it's just reverting to the way things were. And that's precisely what the globalists and the Illuminati do. They revert things to the way things were, to the old ways where serfs were serfs, royalty was royalty, slaves were slaves, and you and I were not permitted to question our betters. But there's a series of what I would like to call pre-Illuminists, and one that I would like to examine today is John D. Now, John Dee was the astrologer to Queen Elizabeth, and in fact, to Queen Mary before her. And he was a very influential figure in forming the idea of a universal British empire. John Dee was indeed a polymath, 
A polymath is somebody who is multi-talented. He studied the arts, the sciences, and magic, and all the arts when the former was begin only beginning to take root. Science was only just beginning to take root and was only still partially part of what magic was. A good scientist and a good magician were basically the same in his time, which was between 1527 and 1608. There was no difference between science and magic in the eyes of most people. There were simply wonders created by intelligent people with incredible resources that they could not fathom. Now, John D. John D. was also an alchemist, and he did all sorts of things. He he was using gunpowder to demolish major forts, but also put on colorful shows of fireworks for appreciative audiences, just like the other major alchemists of his day. This is a big time in history between the 1500s and early 1600s. This is a time of Shakespeare, when plays were thought to be something for the lower class to entertain themselves with, but the upper class were continually patronizing. Indeed, the Elizabethans were positively decadent with their relative acceptance of theater in the face of Puritanism, which eventually would spawn its own separate identity from the British identity. And indeed, by the end of these days, Oliver Cromwell was on the scene with his ideas of destroying the monarchy and substituting his own iron grip in its place. Now let's keep in mind, between the 1500s and 1600s, England was quite poor. As a matter of fact, Elizabeth may have enjoyed a victory over the Spanish Armada, but afterwards she was barely able to afford to replace the cannonballs that had been expended in the engagement. Can you imagine that? A monarch, one of the greatest monarchs in history, the Virgin Queen herself, could not to afford to reimburse her own ships for defending her own country just to replace the gunshot that they used. This is how poor England was during these times, and it is why it set its sights westward on the Americas as a new source of wealth. America in those days <coughs> was considered much the same way that we consider Atlantis or any other mythical place. It was deemed to be the seven cities of gold, the mythical place, the island where magical things happen. And John Dee fit perfectly into this arena. He was going to become one of the principal characters in the drama that unfolded at the royal court. See, John Dee was a literate man, and he was also good at math. He was able to create sophisticated horoscopes and impressed his royal patrons with his ability to foresee the future, again through said horoscopes. Now, being a learned man may seem to have put John Dee in an advantage at a relatively uneducated world, but in fact, he was alive when words had power. Numbers were a secret language, and a man who had both of them at his disposal made him seem magical, indeed, almost godly. It would be like sorcery to most people. And with his access to his vast book collection, he could perform miracles. His book collection was actually bigger than the entire English National Library of its time, John Dee being the one who actually suggested to Queen Mary that it was time to establish a national archive. And John Dee himself, having his 
magical powers of literature and mathematics, was able to stand up against the oral traditions being taught by sages, wise men, and the church alike. <clears throat> being able to work with numbers allowed him mathematically to be able to offer his own proofs. So not only could he offer logical arguments against the orthodoxy of his days, but now he was able to use the mystical art of numbers to back himself up. Numbers have always have power. Just as today, advertisers use statistics to persuade you into purchasing their products, just so in the past, an ingenue would be able to use his proofs as a way of validating any statement he might make. As I mentioned during the Flat Earth episode, it's always been a matter of debate between people just simply because you can use numbers to prove virtually any point that you want them to prove. Now, John Dee, however, was particularly gifted, and when he was found to have made horoscopes for both Queen Mary and then Princess Elizabeth, he found himself at the center of great controversy. He was summoned to the Star Chamber to answer charges of treason against Queen Mary. Now, why would it that be seen as treasonous to cast a horoscope of Princess Elizabeth? Now, remember, this is the 1500s and 1600s, and the esteem that natural philosophers and astrologers commanded back in those times, it was believed that they could predict which royal would be the one that would live long term and thus be able to curry favor with the one who lived longer. Thus Queen Mary being in control, having seen John Dee had cast her, her sister's horoscope, had reason to be jealous. Here's this mystical man who was her advisor, who was to a certain degree her friend, was suddenly interested in, this, his, in the future of her sister who she had long been keeping away from the throne. Now, the Star Chamber was a special court exclusively for those of royal favor, and their trepidation about astrology's power shows how much importance they placed on the writings of the stars, because the royals were not afraid of incurring the wrath of the Pope nor any other ecclesiastical authority, but the messages written in the stars terrified them. Those messages were above all. We can find this in modern day as well with the royals and elite academics trying to put celestial messages in everything that they do. Be it the Mercury or Gemini spacecraft, named after not only ancient gods but planets and stars, but right up to the modern day Orion spacecraft. The Illuminati do love to hide symbolism in everything that they do. Now, John Dee, of course, had a plan for a perfect city in North America, which back in those days, with North America being the undiscovered country that it was, virtually everybody had their idea for a perfect colony. But he was one of the first people to use the term British Empire. <laughs> Let me say that again, British Empire. And it was purposely used to subvert the Spanish Catholic claims to the Americas. And it did this by usurping the Spanish claims by hearkening back to tales of King Arthur and Prince Maddock, who supposedly had sailed westward centuries before Columbus and laid claim to the lands beyond the sea. 
Of course, this completely ignores the Vikings and the Chinese who would also beat the, them, beat Christopher Columbus over there, but that's neither here nor there. It's quite interesting that the great plagiarist Columbus was himself subject to having his own claims superseded by even more ingenious arguments and claims. The curious case of the Piri Reis map seems to show that knowledge of the Americas was available well before Columbus, and so even in the Levant, there were those who preserved an ancient knowledge that pointed west, showing the Americas were there and available for the taking. Indeed, John Dee spent most of his life perusing ancient texts in order to acquire as much knowledge as possible. But that knowledge, through those texts, wasn't enough for him. Just as the same failing of our modern-day Illuminati, he wanted more knowledge than was humanly available at the time. When he was about 50 years old, suddenly all the knowledge he had accumulated did not seem like enough. He'd read pretty much all of the available literature of the day, and he hungered after a deeper knowledge. He knew that there was more out there, and the way that he tried to access it was to try to talk to angels. Now, anyone who might have come across a Ouija board or spent another method of divination knows that whenever you open yourself up, you have no control over what might come through. And thus, when John Dee began his auditions to find a scryer, a seer, someone who saw visions so that John Dee in turn could further his knowledge beyond the most advanced concept of his times, he actually did try to apply a semblance of the scientific method to his quest to find his seer. He would use targets and feedback that he could easily verify. He would, of course, come up with some question that he already knew the answer to and let the person look into the looking class or whatever their method of seeing into the future would be, and if they were correct, he would count that as a hit. And he eventually came across a rather unscrupulous character, Edward Kelly. Now, <clears throat> Edward Kelly was then going under the name Edward Talbot because he had already been convicted of forging currency, which was then known as coinage. Now, Kelly, somehow, using his forgery skills, using his ability to talk, which is something he retained throughout his entire life, was able to convince John Dee that he was able to read minds and communicate with the spirits. In the modern day, this would be equivalent of you saying that you personally had made contact with extraterrestrial beings. Possible, but extraordinary claims require extraordinary proof. Now, for Edward Kelly and John Dee, the revelation they could talk to angels was sensational, too. This pairing, however, meant that the once staunchly pre-Illuminati member, and indeed, John Dee was a pre-Illuminatist, someone whose ideas were a precursor to the Illuminati itself, but that he became corrupted, not only just by the association with Edward Kelly, but because Edward Kelly poisoned the well of John Dee's thinking as well. Edward Kelly was a very, very peculiar individual, and anyone who's not up to date on him, I do suggest you read up on him. You see, the favor John Dee had previously enjoyed at the court swiftly turned sour, 
and throughout their partnership, John Dean's fortunes waned and Edward Kelly's increased. Just like always, when the Illuminati come across somebody who has served their purpose, they use someone to manipulate them. In this case, it may not have been the Illuminati who would not appear for another hundred years, but there were still forces at work, under whatever name, under whatever guidance, that if once they had used John D., they sent in the character assassin to remove him from the public light. The former forger made a mockery of the man who had once held sway not only just one, but two queens of the English royal blood, want, but blood line. John Dee had, of course, been an advisor to both Queen Mary and Queen Elizabeth. Now, to fast forward, because personally I consider that John D. Edward Kelly scrying thing a little bit boring and sensationalist. To make a long story short, everything went well until Edward Kelly said the angels had wished the two to share everything, including their wives, which John D. went along with, but that was the last straw, and... While they were in the service of Rudolph II, the Holy Roman Emperor, the two broke up company, John Dee returning home and Edward Kelly remaining in the Holy Roman Emperor's service. Now, the Holy Roman Emperor was, of course, not holy, not Roman, and never was an empire, but a title that was designed to legitimize men, and I do use the word men and those men represented the highest authority in the eyes of the Catholic Church. So here's John Dee, who had been an advisor to Queen Mary, a staunch Catholic, and an advisor to Queen Elizabeth I, a staunch Anglican, who was now, once again, in the court of a Catholic, a Catholic ruler, Rudolph II. Now, the Holy Roman crown was first presented in 800 AD to Charlemagne, Charles the Great of the Franks, whose father, Pepin the Fat, had dethroned the Merovingian dynasty to insert his own lineage inserted to the spot meant for the successors of Christ. The Merovingian dynasty deserves several episodes, but the, Char the, <coughs> the Charlemagne and his kin are themselves a very interesting topic. Now, after Charlemagne, the Holy Roman crown went into pidence for a few years, and it was brought out by whatever Pope would be around in his attempt to lure whichever secular authority would be into his service. Now, generally, it was a German crown. Although Germany was not itself a united land, it was hundreds of smaller territories ruled by various alliances and dynasties. And in the 1600s, late 1500s, early 1600s, the Holy Roman crown, excuse me, crown was found its way in the hands of Rudolph II of Bohemia. Now, Bohemia itself was a very loose geographical term. Once again, roughly about where, roughly about Germany, Austria, Poland, the Czech Republic would be, but it did contain a very significant territory within it, Bavaria. Yes, Bavaria was the birthplace of the Illuminati in 1776. Again, about a century after the time that John D. and Edward Kelly were living through, and indeed, it was a place that both had passed through. 
So, just about a century separates John Dee from Adam Weishaupt, the founder of the organization that we all talk about, the Illuminati. Both John Dee and Adam Weishaupt both claimed they were host to the gates to higher mysteries, and both found themselves out of favor in their native countries. In other words, the time was not ripe for either of their revolutions. They were not yet ready to take on the orthodoxy. John Dee had to return to England, but Edward Kelly, his protege, was able to find gainful employment under Rudolph and eventually wound up more famous and prosperous than his mentor. In other words, yet another man, John Dee, who stepped into forbidden knowledge, found himself betrayed by higher powers. His ideas were absolutely subsumed by the Illuminati. John Dee and his pupil Edward Kelly would be present in Bavaria and they spread their teachings. John Dee was known as an influential speaker, passionate enough to argue his own defense against treason in the court of Queen Mary, Bloody Mary as she is sometimes known. Edward Kelly was a master con man who was able to manipulate the rich and the learned of his day into giving him his money and even believing some of his more ludicrous claims. But significantly, these two were active in Bavaria, planting the seeds where the future Illuminati would grow, which is why he called John Dee an absolute pre-Illuminatist, a proto-Illuminatist if you would like to prefer it. Now, while I, why I like to say the two of them, particularly John Dee, were acting against the interest of the human race and indeed the holy power itself, is that though John Dee was trying to contact the angels, it's actively going against the Bible because it is forbidden to commune with spirits. Leviticus 19.31 clearly states, Turn ye not unto the ghosts, nor unto familiar spirits. Seek them not out to be defiled by them. That's a pretty specific warning. It specifically says, don't contact the spirits in the afterworld because they're going to corrupt you. And John Dee, once he began down his quest to contact those spirits, was corrupted not only by them, but by an opportunistic Edward Kelly. And they were doing this as Anglican apostates in the heartland of Catholic Christianity in the court of the Holy Roman Emperor himself. Now, for those of you saying, come on, the hundred years passed between the two, surely the two of them didn't influence the ideas. Unfortunately, a hundred years is really not that big of a deal. The past hundred years or so, yes, knowledge has increased dramatically, but we haven't lost all of our traditions. We still celebrate Christmas much the same way as we did a hundred years ago. We still celebrate Halloween. We still celebrate all the other holidays the way that we do. A lot of the stories that were told have stayed true over the, over the years. And indeed, since John Dee and Edward Kelly's time, only 400 years have passed. The, the Islamic faith has lasted over 1,400 years. Christianity is over 2,000 years old. And Judaism is probably about three, 4,000 years old, depending on which dating system you want to use. And there are other, even older ideas that people cling to, from animism to the Vedic literature. That is all, that's all just examples to illustrate that ideas are not lost in the span of a few hundred years, and particularly not when they're valuable enough to serve the needs of the elite. 
John D. went from casting horoscopes for his own queen and future empress to wandering the earth, searching for forbidden knowledge and consorting with spirits specifically forbidden by all churches of his day. <clears throat> now, John D. was a contemporary of Sir Francis Bacon, another seeker of forbidden knowledge who will feature in a future episode of Just Another Conspiracy Show. It's also quite likely he had many conversations with Sir Walter Raleigh, another polymath who had ideas of a perfect new city in North America, but he would also present heretical ideas to his queen, Queen Elizabeth, and ultimately be punished for the failures of his overseas expeditions. John Dee, to quote the famous Chinese curse, lived in interesting times, and he himself was one of the movers and shakers that made the times more interesting. His ideas were transmitted to the birthplace of the Illuminati, the Bavarian Illuminati, the idea of a one-world emperor, or in his case, Empress Queen Elizabeth of the British Empire. And just like Columbus had, just like Columbus before him had predicted, it would be necessary to unite the world before them. He also, they, he also had the idea like Christopher Columbus, that the world needed to be globalized under one ruler, because that was the only way forward. There was a new beginning and a fresh start to the world that had to come from England or Spain in Columbus's case. Everyone has the idea that their particular nation is number one, and there's nothing wrong with that notion, except when you're pushing it over the entire rest of the world. And most importantly, the pursuit of forbidden, hidden, and otherwise profane knowledge means that these people, all of them, from Columbus to Bacon, they were pushing the Satanist agenda of a new global oligarchy. Now, we are seeing that global oligarchy today. One that we must forever remember, we have to remember that we are the ones that bear witness to it. We do that by standing up to them wherever we can, laying bare their foundations, shining the light on their hidden secrets, digging up their past. We stand up to those who are afraid to face us in the light of day, because after all, those who fear the darkness have never seen what the light can do. Now, Stand Up by Pipe Choir is the anthem of just another conspiracy show. And it's not only a catchy tune, but it really brings on the mood that we strive to create. Ethereal, ethereal yet heady. Now, special thanks to a View From Space Facebook group, Spooky, Weird, and Cool Facebook group, and all the groups that have been our constant companions and supporters from the very beginning. If you enjoyed this show, the host has several books available on Amazon Kindle. The Secrets of Solomon by Jeff Williams, an expose on the life of the ancient king. Also, Cemetery Island by Jeff Williams, a tale of how a young man winds up in a mental asylum but finds out the doctors have no intention of curing him. Both books are available for only a dollar, and they are soon to be followed by The Age of Ashes, a post-apocalyptic story, and Blood, a Victorian tale of intrigue and suspense in the east side of London in the fateful year of 1888. But most importantly, as always, a special thanks to the, all of our listeners for inviting just another conspiracy show into your houses today.